Blog Talk Radio.
uh, Facebook now if you want to connect from there rather than Zoom? Uh, I'm I'm actually in Zoom, so uh, give me one second. You go. You can go ahead and go live with uh, Facebook. Cool. All right. Here we go, you guys. Carolyn, are you Christy? Are you okay? Christy, are you okay? I am fabulous. I'm fabulous. Okay. So you can hear us good. We're good there. All right. Yeah. So we're going to get ready to go live, you guys. Let's do this. All right. I tell you guys, this is something, some kind of different. <laughs> oh. Okay. I can actually hear you in my ear pod. Do I need the phone too? Yeah, probably still right. And we're getting a little bit of feedback, Carolyn. So you may, once we get on Facebook Live, you may not have to, but we wanted to make sure that our people that are listening through Off Talk can hear you. So we may need to have you stay connected there as well. Um, here we go. Christy Lane. All right. And Rodney, if you're there, you can go ahead and start on your end if you want to just welcome the people that are through Blog Talk, and we're get, we're getting going now. All right, you guys. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another live episode of uh, Butterfly Evolution. And thank you guys for your patience this evening. Um, uh, we are definitely trying to uh, do something a little different, so we appreciate your, your patience. Uh, we know that... Um, uh, tonight is a very busy night in America. Um, I was telling Tammy, who, if you guys thought that Tammy was joking about uh, not watching the news and keeping up with those types of things that, that are going on, uh, Tammy had no idea that the uh, debate was tonight. And uh, and I forgot what I said. I think it was yesterday. And I said, oh, we'll be competing with the with the debate. <laughs> And I forgot Tammy's response, but just in case you guys thought Tammy was joking, Tammy is very serious about, uh, you know, not keeping up with with all of the things that uh, are going on in the news. But we want to thank you guys uh, for listening to tonight's show, especially if you are listening live, um, you know, because we do understand that, you know, a lot of people will be tuned into the the debate. But we have a very, very special show for you tonight tonight. Um, one that I am looking forward to, um, and I'm glad that uh, Tammy came up with this topic. Tammy, how are you doing? I'm good, and you guys let me know if you all are hearing a feedback on my end because I know, when Rodney, when you're speaking, I am hearing the feedback. And if so, what we may have to do is just ask the people to call in. We'll record this and go live with it later. So are you guys getting feedback from me? Not really. Not really? Okay. No, I'm not getting any feedback from you, Tammy. Super. Then we won't worry about it. Um, I'm gonna. I'm doing well. I am. Um, of course, this is all. Again, this is what. This reminds me of why I don't go live because it's just much that you have to do to try to satisfy every entity of it. So, but seemingly we are on. Carolyn, Chrissy Lane, how are you? You guys. I'm doing well. I will. <laughs> 
Tammy Gator. How it are you? It's so hard to get past, you know, what you already know. Years so ago. Christy Lane. <laughs> Christy Lane. Christy Lane. Christy Lane. So, you guys, what we're going to do, um, I, I talked to Christy Lane yesterday about something totally different, and we kind of got into a conversation and what she said just kind of melted my my soul. It was what I needed yesterday, although I, I reached out to her for something totally different. But you know how you just get into this um, kind of this talk about things that you really feel like that are not going to change or they're not changing and you keep seeing and seeing the same thing from the same people and you kind of throw your hand up every now and then just enough to get through it and you're so passionate about it you get back into the game. So we'll share a little bit about that in just a second. She's going to kind of re-say what she said to me yesterday, and I'll tell you how it kind of came about as well. But, um, Rodney, if you want to go ahead and give out our trash can, baby, that would be so cool. All right. Well, uh, funny thing about the trash can, Tammy, um, after last Tuesday's uh, show, um, I moved mine, um, oh. and, uh, <laughs> um, and and not very far, you know, from where it, it was, but I did move it. Um, normally, it is kind of like, so if you come in my office, my desk is kind of, it's, it's, it's not a big office, but my desk is kind of towards the back, um, and there's a little, like, counter behind me, and then my trash cans, both of them sit like to the left of me and they're small trash cans. And so I moved them, um, and to the front of my desk. Um, and it's funny because after I did that, um, twice, I didn't throw the trash can in that direction, but I did look to throw the trash can where, where they, where they were. And, um, and I was like, Oh, I, I, I have, I have forgotten for a second that I had moved them to the front of my desk. And then they did not stay there very long, I guess, because the custodians are used to my trash cans being in, in a certain spot. So when they came to clean up, they moved them back. Now, that happened Wednesday. Um, all of this happened Wednesday. I didn't realize until this morning that the – trash cans had been moved back to where they were. I didn't even realize that uh that the custodians had um had moved them so <laughs> mm-hmm. um but just for you guys who are new and even for our uh our returning listeners, uh we like to encourage you to move your uh your trash cans. Just because we live on autopilot a lot of times we get used to doing the same thing over and over again to become a routine. Uh, to to the point that we don't even realize, a when uh, when when things have changed or when they have moved, or sometimes we neglect um, the need for change. Um, so we like to encourage you guys to move your trash cans and to see how often you go back to the original location, um, and then if you if you compare that to your uh, your, your your everyday life, how often do, does something change and then you find yourself going back to it? How often, you know, ha, uh, do we um, in relationships or we move on from, and not just, you know, significant others, but move on from just people in general, 
and find ourselves picking up the phone to call or picking up the phone to text or, you know, going back to, to those people. And those people could, uh, they may not be bad people. They just might be bad for you. Um, but, you know, how often do you revisit uh, those old people? How often do you revisit situations that you've walked away from and need to close the door? Um, so oftentimes we do that in our life. So we try to use the trash can um, as a as a symbol um, but we but we really do want you to move your trash can and just see um, how often you go back to its old location. Uh, Tammy, over to you. Thank you. So um, it seems that the if you guys are hearing the backflow or the, the the additional voice, please let us know because because right now you guys are saying it's okay. It's a little not clear on our end, but that's okay if it's recording fine. So it just may be our feedback. So thank you, Rodney, and thanks. Thank you to all those who are sending me the, the text and saying that everything is okay there. So, um, again, move those trash cans. Butterfly Evolution is about transformation, transforming really from yourself to yourself. Um, Rodney said something a few weeks ago that we are so worried about who we have become, so much so that we think it's who we are. And I have replayed that statement in my mind a few good times since uh, the last show, well, the show that he said it on, because it had some, some, some deep meaning to it. If you just really let it simmer for a minute, our topic for tonight is um, emotional constipation. And I'm going to share how that topic came about as well. But before we get into tonight's topic, as I said, Christy Lane is on with us. Um, I'd like to say our very own Christy Lane, and she can tell you why. Um, but she is on with us. And, again, she and I ended up talking yesterday because of the assessment, you know, that we offered the assessment. We've talked about um, the assessment. And so I needed someone to take it, and I thought about her because um, what I'm working on, I was going to reach out to her anyway. So I thought, let me try. And so – in the midst of, of trying and we finally connected, we talked, we kind of got us talking about um, race and our expectations of each other, from each other. Um, and she said something to me that eased my spirit a little bit, that brought it back home enough so that now I have to go, I found myself searching for things after talking to her that will will be really beneficial to me um, and I'm just going to keep it real that you know you guys we're going through a very difficult time as it relates to Black Lives Matter um, what we see in policing and things like that um, our, our black men women whatever just 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 being labeled as black people we're going through a really difficult time and so she said something to me. I'm going to let her tell you what that was and add to the story as she sees fit. Um, but before doing that, Christy Lane, if you could tell us who you are, what you do as much as you'd like to uh, share, how the people can reach you um, if they are needing your assistance, your, your business okay. mind, all of that. Share as much as you'd like to before sharing that story. And then we'd like for you to do it again later on if you stick around. We'd have you do that before we end as well. So, ladies and gentlemen, Christy Lane is taking over. Hi, guys. I'm Christy Lane. I am a radio personality. I'm a mom. 
I'm an educator and I'm a life coach. Um, I think the best that I am is a mom. I love being my daughter's mom, Summer's mom. I think I'm a really good mom. I'm a good radio personality. I'm a good teacher. Uh, I'm a good daughter. But I think I really excel at being a mom, and uh, which led me into getting certified to become a life coach. And when I decided to do it, I was on the phone with a friend of mine, and he was going through a situation with one of his daughters. And we were talking about it, and I walked him through the process. And and basically, his daughter just wanted to know she was loved. And he had made it into this big production of, I was there, I did this. And I was like, that's not even what she's asking you. She just wants to know that she's loved. And he was like, he thought about everything she was saying. He goes, it really does come back to that. And I was like, yeah. He goes, well, why are you certified? Why haven't you gotten your coaching license? And I was like, or certifications. And I was like, you know, okay, let me go do that. So I got certified last year. So I've been a, a life coach for a year. But I love working with parents. That's my passion. I love working with parents because so often as parents, we uh, beat ourselves up. We overthink it. We think it's about something that it's not. I mean, the biggest thing we don't do is listen. We just don't listen. We think we already know because we're the adult and we have all these years on our kids. So we know. Um, but anyways, I'm a life coach. I enjoy that. That is my passion. That's my heart. Uh, that brings me the most joy as well. Um, a radio personality. I'm Christy Lane at 103.5 WRBO. I do love songs. It's called The Night Flight. And I'm a hopeless romantic, so it fits me, right? Um, never been married. Never really wanted to until recently. Uh, the older I get, the more it's like, yeah, that marriage thing sounds kind of interesting and good. I'm so uh, independent. I just didn't see that thing happening for me. And I don't like people telling me what to do. So when I thought of marriage, I had a whole different perspective. But the older I get, the more I realize. It's really about working together. It's more about teamwork and understanding and give and take and all of that good stuff. And if I'm honest, I just wasn't good at um, I'm learning to be that person. If I'm honest, I wasn't. I just wasn't good at those things. Um, it was my way or the highway. It really was. Um, and now I realize that was selfish. And not that selfish is a bad word, but it was. But um, single mom here, uh, I have a daughter that's 22. She is an educator herself. She teaches Spanish from middle schoolers, and she's thinking about law school. So, love being her mom. And I teach high school here in the uh, Memphis area, Shelby County area. I teach uh, ABC production. So, um, but that's me in a nutshell. If you want to get in touch with me, uh, ChristineLane.com is my website, or you can reach me on my email at Christy at ChristyLane.com. And Christy is spelled K-R-I-S-T-E-E-L-A-N-E. So the website is ChristyLane.com, and it tells you all about my coaching uh, business and who I am and all about me. And um, if you wanted to listen to, listen to me on the radio, you got to wait a little while longer. Because of the pandemic, we are not uh, live. Uh, well, I'm not live. Um, there's only two people working right now because they can't have everybody in the building because we're socially distancing. Um, so you have to wait for the first of the year for me to get back on the radio. You know, the pandemic thing. 
<laughs> so there you go. What else did you want me to share? Is there anything else? Or do I should? Well, well, I will share a little bit more about, and maybe you were going to do this. So that's that's okay. cool. How we were, how we started the conversation was because of yeah. what what we do. Um, we talked about the need for us, our race, black people, to have the life coaching. Um, because if you know, or maybe you don't know, most most people that look like us think that going to counseling is weak. Um, I don't need counseling. Um, I know how to raise my child. I don't need marriage counseling. I don't need any kind of counseling. I have this. I got this. We were talking about the lack of people, again, our race, that will come and seek the help or even accept the free advice that you give sometimes. And so that's how this what she said to me, she took it a bit further, um, and that's where this started. So, Christy Lane, will you share what you said? Yeah, we were talking about unity and why we're not united as much as other races, uh, white race. And one of the things I think we have to do is stop beating ourselves up about that because when you think of us, we're grouped together. We're all grouped together because we're either called African-Americans or black. Um, but here's the thing. The thing that we have most in common is that we're all from Africa. The other thing that we have most in common is that we're descendants of slaves. Those are the two things. Beyond that, it's not a whole lot. So you have to remember that when we were in Africa, first of all, let me back up. You have to realize that Africa is a continent, not a country. And so many people see Africa as just this big old country where all the black people came from. And here we are in this country. Well, it's not a country. It's a continent with countries. So where your people could have been from Sudan or my people could have been from Nigeria or wherever, maybe our people didn't fool with each other even in Africa. So when you say we've got to unite, unite with who? And why do I have to unite with you? I mean, I have to respect you. I have to love you as a Christian and as a uh, person that respects, you know, the people I come in contact with. But it's not obli- I'm not obligated to do that because we share a certain hue of color of skin. I'm not. But the reason a lot of the division is because we're not all from one place in Africa. Our ancestors could have been arch enemies. You've ever met somebody who just didn't like and didn't know why? Maybe that was it. And we forget about that ancestral connection. We forget that we've only been in America for a while, you know, compared to other races. And then you have to understand, you know, we're just lumped together as black people or lumped together as African Americans, where with white people, they're Irish, they're Russian, they're uh, Swedish, they are a variety of different groups of people where we're just African. But it's so much deeper than that because when I did my DNA, one of the things that came up a lot was Nigeria. So one of the things that told me was my grandfather had to have been 100% Nigerian. So his parents were obviously both Nigerian. But my point is what if we didn't get along in the continent of Africa? 
So why are we expected to be this cohesive package here? And when you think about who we were and who we are, you kind of let us off the hook a little bit. Why are we beating each other up? The thing that you owe most is love and respect and kindness, just because of being a Christian and just being uh, a decent person with morals and values, you know. But I'm not obligated to anything because of race. And we probably can't connect because we don't know. I mean, you have to keep in mind we were robbed from our country. You know, we weren't. We didn't just say, hey, can I buy a ticket and get on that ship? There's a lot of trauma that comes with who we are. And when you've got a ship with people from Nigeria, people from Sudan, people from um, uh, Ghana, these people didn't fool with each other in Africa. So now we're expected to be best buddies in America because we were forced into slavery. I think the picture is bigger than that, and the understanding is much bigger than that. And that's just my um, take on it, because I thought for so long, why can't black people come together? Because we're not all the same. Our common thread is slavery in the continent of Africa. Not the country, the continent of Africa. That's the common thread. Where the Irish, they have... They're Irishmen or Irish people. It's not about a continent or a country. They're just Irish. Or they're just um, Jewish because they're Jewish, you know. So we have to let ourselves off the hook and find other ways to connect and other reasons to be connected to one another. And that's just my take on it. That was one of the things that have let me uh, enjoy being around African-Americans or black people or whatever you want to call us in this moment, it just let me go, you know what, we ain't perfect and we don't have to be. We are not all the same. We're, we're not, you know, you could be, I don't know, Ethiopian. I don't know. I know that I come from Nigerian. So at the end of the day, who knew, who knows, maybe back then Nigerians and Ethiopians had fought with each other. You know, it, maybe they didn't. And that's a big thing. You have to look at that. We come from different parts of Africa, and different things were going on at that time. So there's a lot of reasons we're not as connected and cohesive as other groups of uh, people, I think. So we have a caller, and I'm going to throw a question out. Um, do Do you feel, and then I'll bring the caller in, and we can answer this afterwards. Do you all feel that the... The connect, that we should at least be connected because we are all descendants of slaves and that there is a certain, because here's where I am and why I asked this, because my my thought yesterday was just, and for many weeks now and before, but certainly more lately than, than ever because of what's going on and because I feel that we are, as a race, as people, that we have the effects of being descendants of slaves, the mentality. Maybe not all of us to the same degree, but I see where my mom, my grandmother, my great-grandmother were emotionally scarred and so on. So my question before I bring our caller in, and you guys can think about this, just the fact that we are descendants of of 
slavery, does that or should that make us better connect or feel that we should connect in a in a in a different way, another way, a better way? Because that's where my pain comes from, is that I feel that I realize why we um, have a certain mindset, and maybe you might say everybody does, um, I think we do to a different perspective and degree. So I want to put that out there. I'm going to bring our caller in. This is a caller from 901 is the last four digits of your number. Hi there, and welcome to the show. Hey, hey, everybody. This is uh, Brandon. Um, I thought that was an a, a interesting question and also an interesting perspective of, of the sister that just shared. Um, I share hey, what's up, a, Brandon? Um, hey, how's it going? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Um, I share a, 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 a different perspective than that because uh, I did get my ancestry DNA done. And I found out a lot of history about African-Americans or people who call themselves African-Americans. And uh, out of the millions that were, that were taken and shipped across the transatlantic trade, uh, only about 325,000 actually came to the Americas. And in that amount, those, those people were bred together. So whether they were Igbo, whether they were Yorobo, whether they were uh, Western Bantu or whether they were Central uh, Southern Bantu from Congo or Cameroon, these people uh, mixed in together. That's why the average African-American, uh, if they research their genealogy, they can actually find that they're related to the majority of African-Americans here. Because remember, we were bred like chattel. So my uh, plantation was bred with your plantation. Your cousin stayed at this plantation. My sister stayed over there. And we were split as kids. So our, our genes have all been bred together. This is the reason we call each other brothers. It wasn't just because of the, the, the Muslim movement that happened with the Nation of Islam. It was because we, we are actually all fairly related. Uh, being that, that makes us almost our own tribe. Yes, we have great connections to uh, the mother continent, as the sister said, but, but the majority of the people that have come across this transatlantic trade actually went to Brazil and to South America. Of those 325,000 or so that were left, they came to the Americas, specifically the mainland. So we're, we're all connected. And I think within that, it, it doesn't say that we have to connect uh, socially or in anything that we do, even philanthropically or whatever, or in our business, but we have a greater opportunity to. And this has been something, this connection on our bloodline, our shared stories and experiences, this connection has been used by other tribes and other peoples in order to, to, to leverage that and make a better future and make a better legacy for the next generation. But because we have, uh, uh, because of the implications of trauma that have happened to our families, we have a very um, almost antagonistic and as a whole uh, uh, treatment of each other, whether it be economically through our businesses or the way that we speak to the people closest to us or the way we treat them, um, the way we patronize at businesses. Uh, versus, let's say, a white business on the good side of town. Um, we may not respect a mask when we're in the hood at the gas station as opposed you know, going in for the COVID-19 thing, whether you think about that or not, whereas we, we're more tempted to make sure that we have that mask when we go on at the Kroger in the, in the really nice side of town. Um, and so we treat things differently based on the, the colorism spectrum, and that is a product of social conditioning. So, no, we don't have, have to say I have to connect with you 
because you're black, but we have a shared story. And with that shared story, we have an opportunity to either leverage that and use it to our benefit or stay out here and salvage it for ourselves. Because, you know, we, we make that, that connection of the crabs in the bucket mentality, but if it's only one crab in that bucket, that crab isn't getting out. So you can either connect with the people around you that have those shared histories and those shared stories, those shared plights. And I'm not just talking about black people. I'm talking about brown people and other people that have, have also been oppressed in this white supremacist society. If we don't realize that we all have a common enemy and join together just based on that on a human rights level, then I think we're really missing the mark and missing the opportunity of this generation to move the ball down the field, not to get the touchdown. Because as egotistical, uh, as an e- egotistical kind of like, uh, uh, narcissistic trending society We're taught about the individual Wanting to send it to the touchdown Make the home run Maybe that's not our job And maybe we keep trying to do that as a generation We're going to hit the home run We're going to hit the home run We're going to have everything done and settled in my generation Maybe that's not our job Maybe our job in the, in the game of life Is to just push the ball down the field Just a little bit further Making it easier and easier and easier for the next generation Like Martin Luther King said That justice is a long arc you know, or, or, or that, uh, you know, it's a long arc, but it bends towards justice. So we, that, I think the long game is that strong game. And so I, I, I don't so much agree that, you know, on the speculation of what if, you know, when we were in Africa, we were actually warring tribes. Truth be told on those histories, on the, uh, truth be told on those histories, a lot of colonialism came into Africa and, and disrupted uh, the trade disrupted the synergies, disrupted the harmony between and the symbiotic relationship between those different tribes. So Europe came in and saw they, they were like, man, we already pillaged all of our waters. We've already cut down all of our trees in Europe. Shit, we didn't even know how to how to bathe I, ourselves and use soap until the Moroccans came around. So Brandon, in, in that instance. Mm-hmm. Excuse me for just a moment. What we're going to do, yeah. I just uh, was notified that some of our people, because we are live on Facebook and you guys are uh, forgive us for that Some of them cannot hear you So what I'm going to do If you would um, I'm going to log you on, on a, In a different way If you would just Check your uh, email there and We'll bring you in that way Okay, okay. You know, okay. No um, I like what Brandon was saying um, I still Differ with him on that I will say this though Um I don't want to really connect with anyone on their pain. I want to connect with them that what makes them stronger and better. And I think that's why we keep connecting and not really connecting. And if you've ever had therapy, that's something they'll tell you. Why, like when you're in a relationship, why do you keep dating same types of people? Because you're connecting with them on a level of hurt. I don't want to connect with anyone on a level of hurt. Um, and when you think about slavery and all the harsh and meanness and ugliness of slavery, I don't want to connect on that level. I want to connect on a human level, on a civil level, on a level of love and respect and kindness, definitely. But I do go back and say, I think, too, and, this, and I'll probably get uh, really um, – people disagree with me, but I think we glamorize Africa too much. I think we glamorize the the what it was and and what it is and and the truth of the matter is Africans don't even like us. <laughs> Africans don't like Americans, African Americans as a whole. 
I've known too many, and they don't particularly care for us. And I'm not saying that we don't we supposed to not like them either, but what I'm saying is I think where we're missing the mark is we glamorize who they are, who they were, and at the same time, we're not given that same glamour and that same shine and that same love. And I think if we could ever get out of our heads about what Africa it's like one of those things. This is what how I, I like to say it. Have you ever when you went off to college or let's just say you lived on campus or you um went away for a while and you glamorized what home was like. You thought I can't wait to get back home to Sunday dinners, I can't wait to get back home to this, this, this and the this. What you did do though, you forgot about why you left home, which was about growth and becoming a better version of you. Now, that's not why we left Africa. I'm not saying that, or our uh, country. You know, it was forced upon us. But my point in sharing that is, have you ever gotten back in your mom's house and you get back in your mom's house and go, ooh, she want me home by 1130. Ooh, she want me to clean the kitchen. Ooh, and my point is we glamorize home so much because it gives us a certain amount of comfort. I don't know what and who Africa was at that time. Um, And I will be honest, I haven't done a a ton of research extensively either. But what I have learned is, you know, there were some wars and there were some disagreements and there were some unity and some love as well. But I really don't want to connect I want to connect with you on our heel spots and on the heel ring. I do believe black people in America can be one. I do believe we can be a good community and a whole community, but I think it's going to take us wanting to be a community. We've got to give up colorism. We've got to give up um, uh, hatred of ourselves. We've got to give up... Um, wanting to be liked by a particular group of people that happen to not have uh, melanin in their skin. We've got to give up a lot of things in order to connect on a healthy level. And I think because we keep trying to connect on the level of we were all slaves, we were all this, we were all that, I have never seen that work well when you connect from a place of hurt. And that's what I think keeps destroying us in the same breath. We keep trying to connect from a place of hurt, and that's unhealthy. You know, just I love therapy. I'm in therapy. I go. <laughs> I believe in therapy. And that's what made me want to be a life coach is that I realized I had two places of hurt. And in the, our community, in the black community, we have places of hurt. We can't dare talk about colorism being, Tammy, let's just call it, being yellow girls. We can sit up and talk about our disadvantages, but a darker sister could, and we have to go, yeah. But at the same time, we all have hurt. We've all been discriminated against. We've all been harmed. And there's times that we've got to heal, and we've got to connect from a place of healing, not from a place of hurt. That, that's all I really wanted to say. And I do think we glamorize Africa, the continent, way more than we really should. And like I said, to me, I equate it with going back home after you've been out on your own and you're used to doing what you do and then you go back to your mama's house and mama's not having it 
because you got to be in at a certain time. You got to wash those dishes again. You got to do all that stuff that the reason you couldn't wait to get out of mama's house anyway. Not saying that Africa is a mama's house. We always call it a mother country. So I'm just saying from that level, um, let's not glamorize it. I'm not saying Africa is a bad place because I don't believe that. But I do think we have glamorized the mother country because we needed something to connect to. We wanted something that made us look forward to home. Because that's a warm feeling. That's a comfortable feeling. And we think, oh, home, that's a safe place. And I don't know that Africa is a safe place for me as a black woman from America. I don't know that. I just don't. You guys, um, if I could jump in I, I, yes, what okay. she just said, and then I'll turn it over to you, Brandon, and then we'll we'll have to come back to this. But it's also possible that we don't we don't call this home. Like that yes. that we that may be that place that we see that way possibly. However, have we ever really felt home here? So if not, mm-hmm. where where is our home? And could that be part of the damage? Like you talked about healing. How do we heal if we don't acknowledge the hurt? She brought up a great Christy Lane brought up a great point with she and I being light complexed complexion. I've had I've had the discrimination in my family because of that. And mm-hmm. now I also have it from uh white people because of that, but maybe I'm a little bit better because I'm a little bit lighter to them. You know, right. it's also crazy, but when you mention about the home part, you know, where is home? Where is it? Brandon, I see your lips moving, but I can't hear you. Uh, uh, Mary says she can hear him on Facebook. You're good, right? Oh, sorry. Uh, I, so, <laughs> so I can see Brandon's lips moving, but I can't hear a word that he's saying. Yeah, hold on. I can hear oh, hold on. Oh, no, 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 no. That's me. Nope, that's me. My bad. I'm so sorry, Brandon. I forgot I'm trying to do a million things over here between the, <laughs> I have my computer muted. Go ahead, Brandon. I'm sorry. No, it's all good, man. <laughs> um, but uh, I was asked. I'm thankful I've never seen you. Brandon, make sure your speaker is on your phone as well, please. Yes, so they can hear you on the pod. Okay. That's fine. It's only on here. And you know what, Brandon? I am so glad you had those experiences. Um, I don't know. I haven't had those kinds of experiences, you know, with um, that culture or uh, with Africans from the actual country continent of Africa. I haven't. Not to say that my experience 
was horrible, but I felt very um, unwelcome in their presence. And it was basically said. Uh, but it could be because I'm a very uh, feminist woman. I'm a very independent woman. I don't probably fit most of their cultural uh, themes and identity. I don't fit into that. So that could have been some of it. I don't know. Uh, right, right. Right. Oh, I agree. I agree. I agree. Yep. That's my point. I think it's, I agree with you, that's my point, but I think it's because we have so much hurt, and when you see families, um, I have to say, all families are so different. You know, families in 2020 are totally different from the families of 1960, and what those families, um, I think because, to be honest with you, I think the woman is no longer just at home. She's a provider. I think that, um, if you look at it more, African-American women or black women are college educated, so we learn to become very independent and provide for ourselves. Um, I do think drugs played a role in it. And not only did drugs play a role, drugs took out both the father and it took out both the mom, because it wasn't just dad on drugs anymore. That crack epidemic hit the family, because even grandma could have got in on it. I mean, like, it was a horrible situation in the 80s. But also at that time, black women were going to college. Black women were getting more educated. And even now, uh, pound for pound, more black women are, are considered educated over the male African-American man. And um, 
is leading an academic. Um, and I think it's just because we we have always had to survive as women, as black women, from being we're the most unprotected, un, undervalued group of people. So we've had to learn survival. And so, I mean, that's true. I, I've lived it, you know, and I see it in our community with the Breonna Taylors, with the uh, Sandra, and I can't think of her last name right now, with all the women who have been assaulted. You know, we're unprotected and undervalued. For instance, um, there was a story about something, um, and, and I'm not even going to go there. I, I was going to go down, but I'm not going to go there. But I do say that I see, and I, I am a mother of a biracial child, so I have no issues with people because of the color of their skin. But I will say that I think as a whole, we're just not valued in the community. So I think that's why the family looks different. I think we had to learn survival. We had to figure it out for ourselves and reach out to different communities to find love and respect on a certain level. Not that we always got it, but but I think you're right that some of it goes back to family. And uh, what we looked like as a community in the 60s, we just don't look like that anymore. We're not those people anymore. We're not that group of people that I think if we did have a Martin or a Malcolm, people are not going to listen like they did back in the 60s. I think you've honestly got to become your own Malcolm and your own Martin and do the right thing, so to speak, and be respectful. And that's why I said we have to connect on a level of respect. We have to connect on a level of love. We have to connect on a level of healthiness. And until we can do that, we're going to be about it. You know, we're just not because we don't, we, we were traumatized. We were traumatized being brought from Africa and never seeing our family and friends and the way we were brought and the way we were treated was we were brought here. So I think to see us unite, we've got to find that space of love and that space of healthiness. And I do still think we glamorize Africa so much, but I agree with you guys, both you and Tammy. Um, I agree. The reason we probably do uh, idolize, and I don't want to use the word idolize, I, I believe the reason I think we love Africa so much in our heart is because we, we're not home here either. So I agree with that. And I don't know the answer, but I will say you made some very valid points and some things that I'm going to reconsider. You know, next time I run into someone from Africa, I want to approach them. And I'm a lot. <laughs> I'm a lot. I'm an independent black woman that was raised in America, and I'm a lot. And I think, especially African men, they're not accustomed to women being a lot, you know, not on this level or from this perspective. I'll put it that. I don't like saying level because I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying it's just a different approach. Um so I'll, I'll be more open-minded about that approach. That I just always felt maybe it's because we're from different regions, different countries, and Africa, and maybe that's why we can't connect. Plus the hurt and the trauma that America did. I mean, they didn't make it any better. But um, I, I think some of that plays a role in it. Uh, I think there's so many pieces, and I don't think we ever really have honest dialogue. You know, really – all of us, our different hues, our different um, perspectives, our different economics, our different educational levels. We never really sit at the table with 
how often do you sit at the table with people of different economic levels with you, different uh, religious religion, even being Afro, being black in America, how often do you have these kinds of conversations with people who are like you but are different from you? And how honest are they allowed to really be? Without judgment. And that's what... Exactly. Without judgment. Brandon, I wanted to make sure that you understood what I was saying. Make sure your speakerphone is on for the blog talk. So don't... We have you still logged in, but I don't know if, and it shows you're logged in, but I don't know if your speaker is on so they can hear you there. Um, but you are so right. I am so glad that we went. Um, we're going to have to come back and do this. Just this alone, when people can come together and maybe not be on everything, but at least you have an understanding and a new perspective and a, maybe even a new perception to go by, at least to do, like I said, after talking to you, I went searching. I went searching because I wanted to know more. You shared some things that I just was not privy to, in a sense, um, because that has just not been my focus. But we have to be able to sit and, and come to an understanding. Brandon, it reminded me of what you said about one of your friends, that when he, leave, when he was leaving school in junior high and high school, he was going to a center that taught him about his life, his culture, his ancestors, what they do, what they don't do, how they do it. There was a connection. And so maybe we are traveling just feeling kind of lost and without and, and making African all that we feel that we have to hold on to. And with that feeling comes some expectation of my brother, my sister that looks like that are classified as black regardless if it's light skin, dark skin, brown skin or whatever. We have a connection and that connection, the only common ground that we think we have or we have found is Africa. Because certainly, if my brother can be beaten in the streets on camera and you not be charged, then this is not my home. This is not my home. And so, or at least I don't feel like it is. If we can continue to go through the systemic racism and nothing is done, then this is not my home. No different from if, if you said, Brandon, if the husband or the wife hit the other and say, but this is your home. This is. Are you going to feel like that's your home? Are you safe there? Absolutely not. And so we need to have those conversations that bring about awareness, a different perspective that make not just me, Tammy, the black lady, go and do research, but you, the white person, you, the Jewish, you, the Italian. And then when you see injustice happening, you speak up because you can no longer tell me you don't understand. There is no way you see and not understand it or have some feeling of what is happening. Right, because if it was your child, you would you would feel the same way. Or if it was someone that is your color, you would feel the same way. We just have to be able to be honest. And the topic that we had set for tonight, emotional constipation, you guys. That was a topic that came over during lunch last week when Brian and I were, were sharing dinner. And we were talking about feelings, emotions, and, and how people are angry and how we have all these things that are traumatized us down from our ancestors going through. Because what do they tell us now? This is something I've said forever and a day. When women are pregnant, they tell us, don't be stressed, eat right, 
Well, do you think my grandmother wasn't stressed carrying my mother? Do you think she wasn't stressed? Do you think my mother didn't didn't carry some of that and bring forth some of that? Definitely. Can I share a story, Mom, real quick about about um, my grandmother, your grandmother? <laughs> my great Yeah, sure. So my my great grandmother, um, uh, Beatrice, Beatrice. Uh, she's still alive down in, in Valdosta, Georgia. Wow. When she, when she had my um, my great aunt Linda, she was now nine months pregnant. And you guys know when it's time to pick cotton, it's kind of the the end of summer, right? It's the hottest part of the summer when everything's drying up right before fall comes. So she's nine months pregnant, picking cotton uh, by the by the the bale, uh, hundred. Um, Hundred and something pounds on each one. Sorry, my daughter back here banging on stuff. Uh, she delivered a child after after working, and after she got done delivering the child, the midwives took Linda, who's my great aunt, home, and my great grandmother continued to work and picked, I think, two or three more bales uh, of cotton. That's a couple hundred pounds more of cotton Ooh. on the day that she gave birth. Yeah, it's black women so, have to be strong. Yeah, man. So, and, and when you think about it, even genetically, when they compared the genetics of African Americans to the genetics of the of the tribes by which they came from, um, some of the tribes I spoke of earlier, the Igbo, Yorubu, different ones like that. Hey, baby. <laughs> um, they found out that they were. Come on, baby. They found out that that our genes were actually different. That we had adapted uh, in certain ways. We still had those those connections, but. Uh, if you guys notice, not Africans so much as African Americans are the ones that dominate in a lot of sports. Why? Because we were bred that way. We were bred to be strong. We were bred to have voices that could carry across long, long fields and courts nowadays. You know, um, there are different things that we have adapted to because we were bred for a certain kind of thing. We came over here because when they tried to enslave the the Native Americans, they died because they died. of the, yeah. the the diseases that uh, the Europeans had brought over here. Well, us being on that same hemisphere had already been exposed to some of those diseases, and we didn't, we didn't die. Um, and so in that, in that sense, we are even more a, a people, having connections in different places, but also having our own story. And if you think about, like, when we have those highlight times in America where it's Black History Month, well, if you notice in other situations, no one else has a history month. They have a Hispanic Heritage Month, a Jewish Heritage Month, all these Heritage Months. But when it comes to us, it's history. For 30 well, days. So, for 30 days. But for, keep for 30, in mind 30 days. days. 28. But keep in mind that. Yeah, the shortest month. Hold on. That was created by us, though. That wasn't right. created right. by them. We can't right. put that on them. That was created by us because we didn't want to forget where we came from. But we would have nothing. We would have nothing. So I respect uh history month. But yeah. I also agree with you that we should ask the heritage. So here's the problem with the heritage. What heritage? Because that's why we have to name it history. Because which one is going to celebrate? Are going to celebrate the Nigerians? Are going to celebrate the Ghanaians? What heritage? I think I think we it's still uh, of that. We were stripped of a lot of that. So that's why we can't have the pride as 
Hispanic people or as Jewish people, they weren't stripped of who they were. They were stripped of what they had and where they were. We were stripped of our whole being. Our names were changed. Our language was changed. Our complexions were changed. We were stripped. So it's a little difficult to have a heritage. But we can have a history. And I did that, and I respect that. So I don't complain about that, and I admire the African-American man that created that for us. So I think that's a beautiful thing that came from where we came from, that we can celebrate in unity in that regard. And he yeah. probably didn't do it February, so he has to upset the next Hey, we'll take the short month. We'll give it a month, you know? So, here you go. Yeah, I agree. And, and I, I love, you know, I, I love that time to, to highlight our history. And I, but I, I do think that we also have heritage. I think that that is a part of our heritage just as much for the Jewish people, a part of their heritage is, you know, um, thinking about what happened to, to them uh, supposedly in Egypt uh, or in, in what happened to, to them with, with the, the Holocaust. There, there's something about the, to respect those people that were lost, our relatives that may have jumped off of the boat uh, right. instead, of, instead of coming here to be enslaved. There's people that need to be remembered um, that, that paid those dues for that, for that history. But I also think that due to the fact that a lot of, of what people consider their heritage uh, from times of old has been stripped uh, of us. It's still there. And I think as our generation, we have an opportunity at least to make those connections and say, well, what, what heritage do we have here? And if you think about what we have done just socially into popular culture for America, I think that's one of the oh, reasons that we're so creative is because we are actively creating our heritage. We're actively creating our culture and our culture being one of the newest cultures that have been created has now taken over the entire world. Yeah, everybody you got hip hop culture. You got... You're not black. It's cool to be black. Black is in as long as you're not black. Yeah, yeah. You can look it, black, you can talk black, you can walk black, you can dress black, black, but don't be black. And these, and these days, and, and, and these days, y'all, and, and excuse, excuse me for bringing this up, but you can either come home from the bar and be black, you just can't walk down the aisle. No, you can't turns, be black. <laughs> You know, you can, and, and, and the saddest part, we, and, and what I do love about us as a people, we do find a way to find humor and content. And I would love to connect on that where we know who they are and we know who the they are. You know, we just have to uh, heal our hearts. We have to get over colorism. We have to get over, you know, economics. We've got to get over educational disparities. You know, we've we've got, first of all, and this is from an educator's perspective, I think one of the problems we have in our community, and this is just me from being an educator, we don't value it anymore. When the slaves were slaves, and they valued being able to read. They did whatever it took to learn how to read. If it was to sneak a paper out of Master's house and try to figure out those letters by candlelight, they did. We don't value education anymore. We don't value it because we're going to get basketball stuff. 
we're going to be uh, a football star. We're going to be the next Beyonce. We're going to be the next Jay-Z. What about that next lawyer or that next uh, doctor or that next engineer? See, back in the day when there were, uh, you know, George Washington Carver. He wanted to be a doctor, you know. He wanted to learn how the peanut works. He wanted that knowledge. He went after that knowledge. We don't encourage education on that level. We don't hold being smart. I look at my class, and the most popular student in the class is the one that asked the biggest question. And when and I was when in school, I can to speak to this. At Craigmont High, we did not do as an African American person, a black person, so we choose to say, you were not going to be the queen in that class. You were not going to be the person that stood out for ignorance. You didn't know the answer. You sat there like you felt like they felt you But you didn't ask a fool so everybody knew you didn't know the answer. And then bring the whole class in. That's not what we did. And now in the education arena, it's almost cool to be, you know, to not say and not ask that thing. Girl, I didn't I can't see the girl at the chest. I can't see the girl at the chest. I can't see the girl at the chest. What else do you have to do? You know, when I look at education, I think that is where we are so disconnected. And I think that's where we're losing the battle. Is we no longer value college because that's being like white people. That's assimilating. We no longer value Teaching well, because that's assimilating. Everything is assimilating now. Well, if we don't assimilate, we're not going to do that. Let me be real clear. Like I told them, you know, if a slave can teach themselves how to read, you can learn this what I'm teaching. You can learn this what I'm teaching. You can learn this what I'm teaching. There is no reason for our not to be There's no reason for our kids not to be performing on grade level. It's because we don't value it and we don't value family. We're doing everything. We're working three jobs to make sure they have the right Nike, but not tutoring. And we're not, we're not home because we got to pay for this for another thousand dollars. We really can't afford. But, but it looks good. We got all the kids. Our kids. I have a friend that um, has beautiful home. But the children are dumb about the life. Not because the kids are dumb, but because nobody's home with them. Nobody's making sure they're doing homework. Nobody's checking up behind them. Nobody has time because your mom and dad are going to bed. And they hope and they you hope don't have your homework and you don't have your homework because, because they're tired. tired. So our so values have changed. changed. Our, our uh, desire uh, to be the best has changed. changed. Our hunger, our you tapped on this earlier, uh, Brenda, uh, to have all these all things. Things have changed. changed. Where when I was growing up, you got what you got, you didn't throw a fit and you go take some hands and you did. So you got whatever you provided and it's thankful. And I think we've gotten away from a lot of that. We've gotten a lot of away from a lot of the good old-fashioned is what I call parenting and love and respect. But, you know, again, I think a lot of it is education. And if and we don't, if we don't the education, education, 
um, that we need that we to need survive, to survive in, America, in America is going to eat us a lot. Um, you got, I, I, you got I want to jump in for a minute because before you get too far from what you were talking about, community. We've yes. lost yes. a sense of connection and community and valuing one another because no matter if, if, if my ancestors were kitchen cotton doing whatever, there was a certain connection. I'm not saying that can't take out, that there wasn't some, some issues some errors somewhere, but there seemed to be a better connection and um, accountability. Because, because there was a time where you may have nothing, but your house was clean. I may have nothing. I may know nothing, but you're going to know. You're going to go to school, and you are going to learn. We have become a society who's always seeking to find value through things, whereas before, things didn't matter. We didn't need all the, we didn't all the, we didn't all the new things. We didn't need the the posters and the microwave and all of that. We need something of substance. Now we will buy, we will spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on things that we have to now stay working for and we'll never pay them off. But as long as we keep getting and, and looking up um, Information, information on, on emotional constipation. The last thing before coming on that came to mind is why do we, why are we able to fake certain things, um, whether it's subconscious, unconsciously, when we are in a new, like a new relationship, we're able to change the game and perspective when the relationship is new. We feel a little better when we get a new car, a new house, a new outfit. But it slowly goes away and we come right back to needing some more, something more, something new, something different. And we've gotten away from being able to connect, to think, to understand, to communicate, to know that there are some rules. In this house, in this house, there are some rules that we will go by. You're in this house, so you will go by them as well. We had integrity. We may not have what we're going to do tonight, but we had integrity. We were connected. Yes, we had family. We still are. We just talk, whatever. But there was a connection that we don't have today. There were grandparents. There was uncles. There was uncles. Made I like them, but they were going to make sure that you got your work. The neighbors made sure. It was community. Yeah, find yourself somewhere doing something you want to do. Your grandmother, your grandfather, your mother knew before you got home, even if it was at So we're in that connection. This goes back to what I was speaking about earlier is refocusing our efforts and our energy um, on the family and the, and the family unit, whatever that unit looks like to you, you know, whatever that, that unit looks like, this, whatever your tribe is, whatever the people that you are, you are around and, and are and as independent as, as all of us can be and are, and, and, and shout, out, shout out to, to you know, everybody that's dismantling, you know, the, the kind of uh, rampant patriarchy that humanity has been on for a while. But even in that, we are all codependent upon each other, specifically the people that we live around. We're codependent. The husbands are codependent with their wife. 
the wife and husband are codependent uh, or the child is codependent to them. So we are all living relative to one another. Um, and in that sense, I think we can do a lot more for our community, which is our, our tribe in a sense, or that loose-knit uh, fam- or loose-knit group of, of families. Uh, this could be our neighborhood, but we just live in the hood because we don't know our neighbors anymore. So, you know, how many people can tell me the next, the three people down the street, first name, last name, uh, to the left of their house, three people down the street to the right of their house? Not many. And if you can, then you're blessed to live in a community of people that you know, you know each other. And so we don't have the opportunities where grandma lives uh, next door or down the street. I know, Mom, when we were in, we were in uh, Valdosta, Georgia, uh, you know, auntie lived down the street. My other aunt lived down the street. Grandma and, I don't know, 20 others lived in the same house. So we, we had those opportunities to do it. And I'm, and I'm still relatively, you know, a, a, young, a young man. And I think us now living in a – we live in a state where both of these things can exist, where we both have – a, the, like you said earlier, the most amount of African-American women uh, being the number one most educated demographic in America, but at the same time, here in Memphis, uh, one in seven adults can't read, or 70, I think it was 78% of third graders in Shelby County uh, uh, read below level, or that 70% of people who are incarcerated, these are adults now, read below a third grade level. So there's a connection uh, between the education of third graders and, and the amount of people in prisons, and they actually have tracked that and forecasted that for, uh, you know, prison corporations that are now private, that are now making money off of that. So we have to understand what's around and what's coming at us, and what's the only way we can build resilience is by focusing, I believe, on the family, building up the power, not just wealth, financial wealth, that's financial power, that's great, but also e- emotional power, being able to be emotionally intelligent, uh, being able to see, you know, and you probably know this as an educator, when a child isn't focusing in class because they're hungry. It's hard for me to focus on anything when, I, when I'm hungry. Um, and we have, we, here in Memphis, we have 50%, every other child that's born in Memphis is born in, in, in very low poverty. So a lot of these kids are hungry. A lot of these kids have trauma still going on at home. And like I said, well, until we I deal with it. I think that that has been used to a certain degree as an excuse. Um, I do agree hungry is, is an issue, but one of the things I will say that most people do, they do provide free breakfast and lunch for these kids. Now. But what I will say is what I know is we don't send our kids to school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They yeah. make a lot of things starting, starting in elementary school. So just think about it. Yeah. If there's a hundred and eighty days and you make eighty, you make a lot of instructional time. So you're so going to be behind the kids. If you're at, let's just say, uh, Georgia Elementary, if you stay there, you're going to be behind most of the kids at Georgia miss 80 days a year, and the kids at Germantown Elementary School, I don't know what they call it, they go to school every day. So, so you're going to have an answer because you learn more. And, and they also you have more resources, too, probably in Germantown. The resources, yeah, but that's how it was in my school. The basics in third grade. Reading is reading. 
ABCs or ABCs, one plus one is plus two. If they give the name that has the tablet to read off of, they may have a good old desktop. But if you can log on to that and do the reading and the exercise, yeah, I think I think have resources, but I think that we've got to send our babies to school. I think I agree. I think I think definitely. But I think those resources and the disenfranchisement definitely plays a part because, like you said earlier, if we're not equipping ourselves with the knowledge in order to be functional, uh, productive human beings for ourselves, then we're really shooting ourselves in the foot. But when I so I, I worked with um, young men who were being charged as adults in prison who were who were teenagers, right? And we were helping them work through things uh, uh, at the prisons. And when we would speak about education to them, they were like, "Okay, so man, what am I learning in school? Like calculus, right? And algebra, right?" And, and we're like, "Yeah." And he's like, "So, and I'm I'm learning English, right?" And he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "So, uh, what I'm gonna do with that? Like, how am I, how is that even real to me right now?" You know, and that's what I, I think there's a difference between being educated and pulling something. You know, you probably heard that word. It comes it's from education. Educated or to, or and motivated. To, you guys, if I may right. jump in there, educated and motivated, because they're coming from homes that I, I had a lady tell me that her mom told her, there's no need for you to go to, for you to graduate because you don't have to graduate to have a pick cotton. So there's a certain so there's level a certain of a level mindset that's sending kids to school, and they're saying, and they're I, don't saying need, I don't need this because I will never leave my neighborhood. What am I going to do with this in my neighborhood? So you have to understand the mindset of poverty. We were not hungry. Although we had little, our parents maybe have had little, we were never hungry because everybody took care of everybody. There was a sense of community. And there was, with that sense of community, I'm just like over to you, Brandon, there came some motivation. You are motivated for life. We are losing kids because kids don't see themselves as important, valuable. And when, and when you come from home and you feel this way, and then your community looks different than if you ever see the other side of town. And some of these things are purposefully done. And when you take the person's mind, you have their life, you have their body. Whereas back then in slavery, they may have went out and worked all day. But you could, like, they wanted to learn how to, they wanted, they didn't allow them to take their mind, but they changed, the game has been changed, you guys. If you, slavery was better then because you saw what was being done. You know what's out there. It's so it's so in the back that they think you so much, you think you're free. That you're not. Now, you young people, I think you know and you do more, Brandon, but. But the the parents that these kids are coming from, you have to work to understand what poverty now, this kind of poverty does to one's mind, especially when you feel less than. And then you turn on the TV and you see your brother again and again and again being killed. What does that tell you as a child? What the hell am I going to do for? It tells us that y'all don't, nobody cares. I don't need to spend my time in school because what am I going to do with it? I'm not saying. Exactly. Right, but you have to deal with the exact issues of what comes behind that, and so much more. It's so much more than we can even touch on. And I, I would say, um, sorry about my daughter back, but it's it's so nuanced. I want to finish the story about these young men. Um, 
that were incarcerated and that I was speaking to them about, as soon as I started telling them how easy it was to start a business, they were interested. And showing them how to do taxes with that and, and, and how they can save. I told them one time, hey, Amazon didn't pay $0 in taxes last year. And they were like, what? How was that? And they made, and I showed them how, how many billions of dollars they made. And I could show them how. That interests them. But me telling them about, you know, and, and yeah, it works, Pythagorean theorem, that's not interesting to them. And, and I think there's, I think there's a, di- I think there's a difference between them being, uh, and there are trades and things like that. But I think that one thing that happened to me when I was growing up that my mother alluded to was when I left. First off, there's a very big difference between the classes that me and uh, a lot of my Jewish counterparts. Uh, I came from another school in Florida, so I was pretty much ahead of, of what was going on here in Memphis uh, when I came back here. Uh, our classes were very different. They were structured very different from the standard classes or even the honors classes because I was mostly AP. Very different. And, and just the level of, of uh, intent that our teachers put behind us was incredibly different. But also beyond that, after school, my Jewish friends went to school again. They went to school to go learn finances. They went to school to go learn economics and, 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 and how that applies in business. They went to learn banking. They went to learn real estate. I remember like, hey, man, you don't want to go kick it and ride the bike and stuff like that. He's like, man, I got to go to the JCC. I was like, what's the JCC? That's the Jewish Community Center. Oh, y'all got your own community center? Yes. Y'all got, where the black people community center at? Because I, I need to know about me too. But they were going to learn their history. He was going to learn their language. He was going to learn uh, how he could equip himself as a business owner, as somebody who had equity or had a stake in, in, in this republic, and not just, you know, someone who has to go get a job. And I think in school, I was learning how to get a job and how, how, to, how to play somebody else's risk game who was an entrepreneur. And it's not for everybody, but I, I, I think that we, as in my age group, being in largely the most educated, but still one that, in many cases, a lot of my friends are still living with their parents, highly educated, engineers, doctors, living with their parents. So with this game that they sold us, like, just go to school and you're going to be good, that was a lie. That was BS, and, and we see it now. We're in debt up to 90% per capita. But so there's a difference, I think, between what education can look like. And I think if we say that all kids are only going to learn by sitting in a desk, being mammals, that's not how they all learn. And I think we're better than that now. If we look back at time, cars look different now than in 1907, but our education, our classrooms don't. And I think in America, they do around the world, but in America, I think we are far behind. And that's why we're one of the most developed countries, but are very low on the, on the scale as far as education, back to our values. And, and that's even more exacerbated with African-Americans due to the trauma that we had. So how do we unpack that? By connecting with each other back at home and getting through those emotional traumas, because we're going to keep going back to those places till we deal with those. Because as of right now, we're overly stressed. And you can't educate that. As much as we try to, it's very hard to educate that unless that is the only way out. And we thought it was. And for that time, we became very educated. But things have changed now. We're not in the time of the 60s where that education really got them far. That same education doesn't get us that far as of right now. And um, I, I, think. I have to be honest, I totally disagree with that. I think education is the reason we I think because we think education doesn't pay off, that we have lost the fight. Um, I'm in the room every day. I'm in the trenches every day. I've been there for 12 years, going on 13 years. 
and the value of education has been lost, and it's lost on most people um, because the motivation is The motivation in education was about educating others. Now the motivation in education is about um, getting rich to a certain degree. It is. But people do. They do. So why is it that we have to tell ourselves that us being educated in the game is being played, but when they go to there, they're getting they're being successful. They're learning they're engineers that are working. Uh, they're doctors that are working. My issue is this: is is slavery? These people were slaves and they were motivated, and they had they were the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the lowest on the totem pole. And we're not talking that now, but but at the end of the day, what else do we really have? They weren't, they weren't, they weren't, they weren't slaves, though. They weren't, they weren't slaves in their mind. And we have taken, we have taken, that's, that's my opinion, we have taken that away. And, and when it comes to education, education is good for who it's good for. But we can, everybody cannot make kids think that that's your only out. And even when a black man or a black woman goes and starts a business, they still have to be moved, set up, just for us to get in a door to be able to do the business. So we have to fight on top of fight. And it may be easy for us to sit here. And I've worked in those schools where they were both from both sides of town where the poverty, considered poverty, came to the one school. And you would have to see how things work behind the scenes. There's not a lot of writing. Writing is going to take some principles. You've been really quiet writing on this, especially in writing the book, Tired of Being Black as well. But we're going to have to do this again. But there's so many things, you guys. I took understanding, I took a class, understanding poverty, like all that comes and I'm gonna I'm gonna share this and I'm gonna give it up to y'all and I'm gonna I'm gonna hush for now. But there was a like there was a group of, of white ladies that had a black lady working for them. She caught the bus, she rode the bus every day, she was there on time. This is a real life story, real, real people. And they thought, Oh, we'll get together and we'll buy her a car. So she won't have to catch the bus. So she got the car. Had it for a minute, and she sold it. She sold back up to work one day using the bus. Now, to them, they're angry. We bought her a car. She doesn't appreciate it. She sold it, blah, 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 blah. But not understanding because they are with money. They, not everybody, but you guys, you, I'm just going to say, white is right. No matter what you do, white is right. You got to learn to write it right, right, So this lady has to explain, you bought me a car, but with that car comes insurance, gas, upkeep. I cannot do that. I have to ride the bus. But coming from that world, you don't understand that because you've never had to worry about insurance, food, cars, tires, gas. You don't have you to worry about to that. Worry so about there's that. a level there's of, of because you try to come up, come up and be white. I'm going to say it like you want to move in the white neighborhood. We want to 
look white because we think it's white, whether it's subconsciously or not. There's some things that, there's some trauma that is inside of us to see what has come forward. And so there's so many things. Imagine being a child in this day and time. Thank God I had a mother and a mother and aunts and uncles and cousins that were going to make sure you did what you do in school. But when you snatch the life and the mindset out of people, when everywhere I look, people who look like me are not valued. They're not valued. There's no way out. I cannot beat the system. What can I do? People have lost hope. I I and it may be easy for us to not see that. You have to really, really look because if I came from this time and age where the things I see happen, I don't know what it would be to me. I don't know how I don't know how I would have the ability to fight it. I thank God that I have enough enough instilled in me from childhood to, to be able to see it differently. And that's how the conversation with Carolyn because with Chris Lane, because I want so much for us to unite. No matter where we came from. I want it to be better. And I want people that don't look like me to, to know, especially if you're a Christian, that we deserve that, not because of the skin, because of who you say you are and who you say you serve. And that he created all of us. So if he created and all that he created was good, so if the color of my skin doesn't make me good, then who are you serving? Yes. Who are you serving? It has a it comes to a point where we gotta go back to this topic and stop being emotionally and say what the hell that needs to be said, how it needs to be said, and if it hurts your feelings, guess what? You need to deal with it because if it hurt your feelings, something inside of you that it touched. And so stop trying to throw the blame here on white on a black. Just look at what society has come to here. You judge me and people that look like me based on the color of my skin, and it's also done in the school. So our young black boys and girls, when I see clearly that you send books to a white school before you send them to a black school, you won't even fix the toilet in the black school, but the, the white school has floors that Maybe people don't have in their home. So these things are happening, and we know they're happening. But we're sitting here talking about, oh, I should be able to wear what kind of hair I want, do what I want. Yeah, we got things that are fighting for them. Not fighting for them. We're not fighting for them either. And not all teachers, I'm sorry, it takes a real special teacher to understand how our young black kids and what they're experiencing. They're coming from parents who don't have some of them, the mindset to handle their own emotions. There's a comparison of what a black child learns before going to kindergarten compared to even the number of words they And then those words, how many are positive? How many are negative? How many are building them? I can't build you if I don't if I feel like nothing. We have a parent that says you don't need to graduate because you don't need to do that to learn how to pick cotton. That was her that was healing for her child. Those are the issues that we have to start dealing with. And we I'm sorry, we're gonna need some people that need barbershops. I don't know where we now. So everybody cannot go and be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher. 
We need everybody. And we can't make a decision. We cannot go and do that feel like they are less valuable. We definitely cannot. Because if I'm being such a white, black, blue, white, black, your color. Well, then let's say this way, then. I think when we say education is not for everyone, kids here, I don't have to go to school. No, everyone that I can't, we can't hear you, Christy. Ah, I think my, um, I think my, my thing died out. Uh, Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Um, I don't know. I think we have to, the verbiage we use is very important. And meaning, you can't say education is from everybody. I teach a CTE program. I believe in career and technology. So when kids hear education is in front of everybody, they hear I don't have to go to school. You do have to go to school to be a barber. You do have to go to school to be a truck driver. You do have to go to school to learn. We've got to stop telling them that it's not for everybody. It has to be for all of us. That's not it's not an option for education not to be there. That's just not an option. We can't check any of those boxes. Now, if you want to be a barber, you still got to go to school and learn how to come here. Even if you're naturally gifted, and trust me, I've seen some young boys, baby, they can come here better than folks with license. But the law is you got to have license, so you got to go to school and you got to do what you got to do. We've got to stop using certain verbiage because our kids hear it another totally different way. I agree with you. A doctor, I could be a doctor and let know what I I'm lost in Catholic. But at the same time, I could go to school for something else because I have other gifts. I just think our kids need to know. No, you don't have to be a lawyer, a doctor. You don't have to do those things. You are smart enough to do those things. You are intelligent enough to learn those things. However, if you choose to be a truck driver, you still got to go to truck driving school. If you decide to be um, whatever it is, if you decide to go into TV, you've got to learn how to write scripts. You've got to learn how, uh, I don't know what's going on. Uh, you've got to learn how to do. I don't know. Rodney, while she's fixing that, you've been really quiet. Let's get in because we're about to get off of here. Our time is going to run out. This is one of those. We'll wait on her to get the label back in. Can you guys hear me, Tammy? Can you hear me well, Mom? Yes. Okay. I think think everyone should equip themselves with knowledge, and they should be educated by someone. But I think what we have done as a society is that we've made one lane for education. We've made one lane for everybody. We've said that the kid that learns by auditory or the kid that learns with his hand has to be in the exact same space, and we expect them to learn the same way. And I think when we put, I think when we when we make education so uh, one dimensional in that sense, to where I have to wait until I'm 18 to really explore what my passion is. Um, and I'm being told that I don't even know what my passion is because the people before me didn't even know what their passion was until they were 30 or whatever, or what passion was, then I have, you're not listening to who I am as a human being. 
So why am I going to listen to you tell me about what I need to know when you're not even listening to me about who I am as a person and how I might learn? And so I think I think that's kind of aggregated in a, in, a, in a big way where we're saying, like, every single child and all education has to go through the, through the same lane until this point. And, and I think that's just very backwards, and it does not produce the best results. I judge a tree by the fruit, and we don't have good fruit right now. But if you go to Finland, you go to, to, to um, uh, other countries, New Zealand, Australia, their education system as far as uh, uh, the intellect and the scholarship of, of the people they educate is completely different than ours. Our people are going to be more, more workers now. They're, they're, they're being, in some cases, I believe, indoctrinated by the same system that once they get out oppresses them. While we say those other communities are in jobs, uh, they, they're able to use their degrees. Well, it's because my black brother, who has the same engineering degree, didn't get the job, even though he was summa cum laude. But the person behind him still got it for, for no apparent reason, uh, other than the only difference is that, you know, the color of their skin that they can notice. And, of course, this person is now having to say, well, is it because I'm black? Like, th- those little things, like, is it because of this? And how many times have you had those situations where it's like, dang, is it – is it because I'm black? I'm like, nah. But it happens so much to where coincidence doesn't fit that description. So I feel like, like Dr. Martin Luther King said, he said, I feel like I've led my people into a burning house. When are y'all going to realize that it's a burning house? And yeah, we, we have raw materials. We can, we can build our own, but when anytime we get something, we go to the next community. So at one point, we had the doctor stand next to the plumber in the black community. We had the plumber stand next to the teacher. The teacher stand next to uh, uh, the woodworker. All these people were in the same community and knew each other. Now the people that were the business owners, once they were able to, uh, you know, some people call it assimilate or move into those neighborhoods, they moved to those neighborhoods where they weren't wanted anyway, where they faced housing discrimination and predatory lending. And so they lost their wealth instead of keeping it there because they thought that was the ticket to freedom. That is the burning house that I think Dr. King was talking about. And I think we have to be careful and really buying into, um, uh, uh, especially for my generation, we feel like all these other generations before us had bought into the American dream, and they were asleep. We won't say every single one. There was some progress that has been made and much respect, but we are not, like you said, those ancestors' things are different, but there are things that we should learn and keep, and the things that are good from there we should keep, and the things that were bad and, and, and didn't work out for, for the progress of our individual families and our people, I think we should do away with. And I don't think – I think for a time, education did well um, in the way that it's formed, but I think education is way more dynamic than many of us receive. And for that reason, we still feel like we're getting the bad end of the stick when the school in Germantown gets the better books or gets them before we do, or they're not teaching the things that we're even interested in or giving us that, that, that choice. And for that reason, I think a lot of people are turning away from, from those um, – from those forms of education and looking for alternative ways to make a living. Because the young person right now in seventh grade is looking at their older sister who graduated from college and is in $200,000 in debt or $100,000 in debt with a degree, miserable, back home. That's not how she imagines herself. And we're saying, no, go do what your sister did. Go to college. You know, do your scholarship until it runs out and take out student loans. And then what's she going to do? Come back and live in the same place? I think we have to rethink what it looks like now, especially if you look at colleges and how they're treated like businesses as opposed to education uh, facilities. They're more focused about turning that dollar and making a profit 
than it is in educating many of their people. I went to a Division One school, and I saw the profit focusing on the football team and things like that and how they wanted to keep kids inside of these general education courses to get the most money out of them, to get the most amount of debt that they could get from whatever bank out of them and that money in their hand. We don't feel like we're being treated well like you really want to educate us as an entire system. So why would we go to a place that doesn't serve us? So that's why people are thinking of these alternative ways, and we can exist in a polar, uh, polarized place where we have the most amount of educated African-American women but yet we have these high illiteracy rates and these high uneducation rates because there's a huge split between not only the rich and the poor, the educated and the uneducated, but also the people that have been able to maybe heal their trauma and the people that haven't been able to heal their trauma. We have to focus, I think, first on dealing with the emotional constipation that we have because we're letting our emotions run us as a people. We're letting that happen, and that has more. That doesn't have anything to do with our education. That has things to do with our hearts and how we deal with each other. So until we move past that, it's going to be very hard to learn anything because we're still dealing with trauma. I've heard you guys say a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, we can hear you, brother. Thank you. 
younger too. Think about think about this. And, and Brandon, I know you and I are close in age. Think about like when I was in school, I never heard of Black Wall Street. Nobody ever told me about Black Wall Street. When we talked about US history, when we talked about American history, it was all about Columbus Day. And they said a scripture for Columbus for how many years until people started to figure out what it is. Now it's all that's changed because the more we find out and the more we challenge, and it can't just be one or two of us, the more we challenge uh, our oppressors. And I love the fact that Brandon brought up how the crack epidemic, the government was all behind it. And my wife says all the time, you know, crack and all, you know, that, that stuff, that stuff started in, in, um, in, in Mexico and in Colombia. So how the world
when you were talking about, um, you know, how they, how we weren't even connected in Africa, I was like, you know what, I never even thought about that, you know, because most people do associate, uh, when we talk about Africa, we're like, oh, that, those are our people, that's our homeland. Uh, no, it's not. Like like you said earlier, just about uh, every African I've met, like, I'm, I'm not your brother. I'm like, wait a minute, I could be I've been that with too. But we seem to think that just because somebody is of the same color, Brandy, you said this too, like all, 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 um, how does it go? All, all skin folk and kin folk. Like these people are. But like you said, Brandon, I've had my issues with, with, with white people and with Asian people, and you know, but where the violence has come from, or where the where the physical harm has as couple more attempts to come from, it's usually the people who look like me. And my my most challenging times in life have come from the people who say, I love you because I'm your brother or because I'm your parent. And it's, and it's one of those things where we have to figure out a way to uh, refocus or help people to refocus because part of the division is, one, lack of communication. We don't talk to each other enough. We don't educate our kids at home enough. You know, we're only going to get so much in school. And you got to remember, who's writing the curriculum? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. On top of writing, the same people writing the curriculum are either writing the, are either writing the tests that are failing us or they are, they are allowing their rich buddies overseas to write the tests that are failing us. And so we we, we got to, and I'm going to uh, last thing, because I know we got like five minutes. We have to start getting more involved. We do not go to school board meetings. We don't go to city council meetings. And that's why these laws get passed and no idea what's going on. And so, you know, people are so into, you know, we're But you're not going to get the truth on that stage tonight. you got to find out because, as my, as my former pastor used to say, what you see is not real. It's what you don't see that's what's real. So I'll give it back over to you guys. Hey, you guys, I want to read something really quick, and then we're going to get off of here. If you're looking for a really good book to read, period, but there's a section here about education and religion, and it's Napoleon Hill, Outwitting the Devil, The Secret to Freedom and Success. You guys, this is one of the best books I ever I want to read just a little bit from the section of education and religion. This is just a small little uh, tidbit. The question, one of the questions, um, basically they've been talking about school, and it says, is that that is wrong with the system? Now, there's a lot more before this. And he says, no, that is only the beginning. Another major weakness of the school system is that it does not establish, establish in the minds of children either the importance of definiteness definite of purpose or make any attempt to teach youth how to define how to be definite about anything. Major object of all schooling is to force the students to cram their memories with facts instead of teaching them how to organize and make practical use of the facts. This cramming system centers the attention of students on the acclimation of credit. But over the important question of how to use knowledge in the practical affairs of life. This system turns out graduates, 
whose names are inscribed upon parchment uh, certificates, but whose minds are empty of self-determination. The school system got off to a bad start at the beginning. The schools began as institutions of higher learning operated entirely for the select few whose wealth and family entitled them to education. Thus, the entire by beginning at the top and working back down to the bottom. It is no wonder the system neglects to teach children the importance of uh, definite purpose when the system itself has literally evolved through this. So indefinite. So, and this is about education and religion. This is one of the best books that you could ever read about the trickery of the system because you guys, whether we know it, believe it, I, I've seen it enough to know that there is a major difference. If I come to you already broken, um, feeling defeated, like my cap is here, and I get before a system, a, a group of teachers, because there's a, not a lot of, there are some good teachers out there, but there are some who just assume you go back home just like you came. And there's a lot of that. So to leave a community and to come to a place where I'm, I'm to be by people who want me to learn and want me to grow and have purpose and have passion and, and care that I eat at night and care what happens to me when I leave here and they don't get it, that's just another setback. And I cannot be concerned that mom and dad is not teaching it. I have to now say it is my responsibility to make sure you get it, my child. And we're not saying that. We're not saying it enough or there's not enough people or enough teachers like you guys who are saying you can do this. Okay, you don't want to be a doctor. You, can't, you don't have the money. What do you like to do? We're leaving it on the table because we're so distracted ourselves as adults and the people in our lives. So, sure. They are there, Carol. They are there, too. See, I get that, you guys. That's why I, I get I get that. But would we accept that? And I know teachers cannot save kids, but we just like we're dealing with the cop who uh, who takes off the suit and go put on the sheet, the white sheet. We have some kids that are facing that. And what I'm saying is, when they get to school, there ought to be a certain not with just the teachers. The teachers are in distress because from the top down. But we cannot stop caring because we would not accept that from the doctor who's going to operate on our child, our parent. We would not accept that I can't do this because I'm stressed. I cannot go beyond this. You were, you, this is what we took on. We have some people who take on teaching just for whether we want to call it like it's just for the summer vacation and all the other breaks and all of that, not for the love of kids. And that's what I'm saying. We need to start being intentional. I've watched teachers come to school drunk with their alcohol carrying in a coffee thing and they cannot be dealt with because of tenure that's bullshit like those are the things we cannot let go some things we cannot fix some things no you cannot do all this with these children but all this bs that we have that's in between it we have to speak up we can no longer be emotionally constipated because for the sake of being liked no, not you, but I'm saying overall with teaching. 
you are blessed because some kids don't have that. But they don't. And so when they get to school, there is a, to me, you don't have to be mom, but you have to, I think we have to expect teachers to be, to care, care what happens to these kids. that some teachers don't care because that is true because Rodney made Rodney made an example out of a child because a child would act up at math hold on one minute the child would act up only when math is being taught Rodney took an additional step to say something's going on he doesn't know math and what I'm saying once you take on that is, is a position that you take on because it's in your heart Oh, he, he was in the classroom at this time, though. He was a teacher. He was a teacher. So. Have you all came across teachers that you know don't care? You ever came across a teacher that you know don't care? What what do you do in those instances? What? Okay. And that's, that's what I'm saying here, that we have to acknowledge that they do exist. And but if a child comes to school drunk, what happens? If a child comes to school drunk, what happens? But you guys, this is what I'm saying. We just have to keep it real because it's real. Whether we, you know, I can see where you guys say that again. But. Oh, exactly. So if a, if an adult comes to school drinking, I don't care if it was the principal and they've been there a hundred years, you should know better because we have expectations of our children. Sure. What needs to happen. Problem.
get tenure? How can kids get get tenure? Like how can how can how can they get grace and mercy? You know. And what do you think when kids see that? What do they? What does that do to our children who who are saying? Well, we are telling, like we as a society, as adults who are saying, we have these expectations of you, but we're going to let Susie slide because of tenure or color or her dad is a superintendent over here, teaches here. What do we tell our students? What do we tell them? Right. They, they like, really? You know what, you guys, I love to have, like, Christy, your baby, her perspective, because she's young and she's been out there. And I want to say this because you guys don't have any kids in the system, but I go volunteer. I've gone and sat through and found out things, like, even with fun, I'm not going to be long here, but I realize, like, I'm sitting asking a child to, to sound this letter, and it makes me see, and he's saying, you know, I'm like, two things, what's happening here? I didn't know that phonics wasn't being reached, the sounds and all of that at the time I did this. And I'm like, how do you expect me to teach this child how to read when he doesn't know sounds and can identify? But 17 months, and she knows this. But that's because they've taught their work with her. So I'm going to say this to teachers because I'm not coming down on teachers. It pisses me off. To know, Christy Lane, that you've applied for such positions and never even gotten a call because you are one that cares. I need piss me off that it took you so long to get there. What I'm saying is, you guys don't lose your thirst because sometimes you're the only thing a child sees speaks into this. You're the only, and that's I cannot, I cannot sit back and say if a teacher chooses emotionally not to be here. Because it takes a child plus years to get over your stuff because he expects more from you sometimes than he does his mom. Is that right? Absolutely not. But if they're going to take on the position, they don't bring your dream to school. Don't bring your mess to school. Don't bring mess to school. And if you do, when you're in a position that you're in, Rodney, or even you're in a position as a teacher, then you guys speak up. Because, again, they don't get a over. They have enough. And it's because we, we refuse to speak up and speak out. We don't want to see what needs to be said. If there's a teacher walking around drunk every day in school and there's a teacher you can't let them go, then we need to get rid of tenure. Because that's that child went, I mean, really, it's, but you can't have both. You can't have one that is, you know what I'm saying? You can't. <laughs> so, but we have, we have to. Yeah, exactly. We can't, because we're, these are the, these, these young people are going to be taking care of us. Your baby, so we can't, we can't throw them out. Mm. Right, right. 
And make it happen, you guys. Make it. That's not a dream for a fish. Make it happen. Amen. No, Rodney, I don't know. I'm really getting tired of coming on these shows, finding about this. Rodney, you're not doing your job, Brandon. You're not doing your job because I just found out about WAP on another show. Is it WAP? Right. But <laughs> I know on some area show, and now I'm hearing about groceries. What's the name of the song? Oh wow. And what's the name of it? Oh, wait, WAP is the one I learned on Tamaria's show. I heard a little bit of it. Didn't need to hear any more. I didn't need to hear any more. I'll send it to you because I think it's recorded, I think. And they play that on the radio? They do play it on the radio? I'm mad at because that's what sales. 
Wow. But they're not feeding that same music into the other ones. No. All of them. I love y'all. Yeah. I was just typing you guys like, I love y'all. I love this conversation. But y'all got to get out of here. Y'all, I don't care where you go, <laughs> what you do, but you got to get out of here. <laughs> Thank you, girl. We we'll have to do this again, you guys. Think of think of another way to travel it or to journal journal it in conversation because uh, we had a lot of people on. Um, we'll have to bring you back because we didn't get to give your website out again, but they were able to see it. So we just um, we just have to do it again. All right. Great night. Great night, everybody. Love y'all and thank you so much. Rodney Jordan, don't call me. Brandon, don't call me. Hi. <laughs> right. Good night.